0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gateway, brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business, where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I'm joined with my incredible co-host, Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello, Biagio. Hi, ciao a tutti. Welcome. Welcome to The Gateway. Thanks for being here as always, Biagio. Now, today's episode, Talking with Technology. We are honored to have Dr. Andrea Guzman, an associate professor of communications at NIU and a co-director of the Human Machine Communication Lab. Her research focuses on HMC theory and people's perception of artificial intelligence, including voice-based assistance and automated news writing programs. In addition, Dr. Guzman is an editor of Human Machine Communication, Rethinking Communication, Technology, and Ourselves, and co-editor of the forthcoming, The Sage Handbook of Human Machine Communication. Dr. Guzman's award-winning research has been published in top journals, including news uh, including new media and society computers in human behavior digital journalism and journalism and mass communication quarterly and and on top of all of that has presented at leading interdisciplinary and disciplinary conferences so Dr. Guzman is also currently the inaugural chair of the Human Machine Communication Interest Group of the International Communication Association. Dr. Guzman, that is an incredible resume. Thank you so much for being here and welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I think this is a great initiative and I always like talking uh, with, with other people about my research, talking with students, talking with faculty. And so I'm really excited for our conversation today.
0: Perfect. We are too. I've been looking forward to this all week. So thank you again. Um, I want to, again, jump in right at the beginning. One of the most important questions I think anyone can ask someone with your skill set and expertise. What's your favorite voice-based assistance? Is it Siri? Is it Google? Are we talking, I don't know, Bixby? Is that even a thing? I don't know. Which one do you lean to the most?
1: Uh, you know, this I, all, I get this question quite a bit. Um, and for me, it's it's based on function. and I think that's how it is for many people. Uh, what am I doing at the moment? What do I need to do at the moment? And the one I use the most is uh, Amazon Alexa. I do have an echo in my home. Um, and for me, what I you know for many people, what they like are, are hands free. Uh, So I use it in kind of a boring way to keep my grocery lists. Um, And then, you know, (laughs) I don't ever forget it uh, as long as I have my phone. Uh, But and and just uh, what what you can do with it. Of course, if I'm in the car, I'm more mobile uh, than I'm using Siri because I'm on an Apple ecosystem. Uh, But um, but yeah, for me, the one I use the most tends to be uh, Alexa. As far as, you know, which ones I like, uh, you know, as a researcher and someone who looks at all the different aspects, you know, I, I like technology, I like the ease of using these technologies. But of course, there are some aspects of these technologies that also can be problematic. Uh hmm. so, you know, as someone who used to work as an assistant myself in a, in a human capacity, uh, you know, having a female voiced assistant uh, sometimes can uh you know r- raise some questions for me. But uh like like many people, it's it's based on the utility.
0: Interesting. And, and uh... Can you expand on that a little bit more are you saying that um, with with a gender identifiable almost of a voice as like an assistant there there there's could be some inherent sexism with that or, or am i in misinterpreting that whole thing
1: no you're you're interpreting correctly uh, and so this is this is one of the things about when we imbue technology with human traits uh, because mm. when we imbue technology with human traits there are human stereotypes that attach to them. Now, one of the reasons we tend to use specific traits is to help people how know how to use the technologies. But what can be problematic, however, is in designing these technologies, uh, the stereotypes and the representations become flattened. Uh, in other words, it, it does not represent a person um, as who they are and so for example uh, research has shown that users will actually swear more and be more hostile to female voice assistants really
0: um,
1: right yes and so yes you're like i thought i was having a happy conversation it. but this is important so this is what yes. i study what i study is is not that any type of assistant is inherently bad or inherently good but we really need to think about when we design these assistants to represent people what are we representing and is it accurate and is it helpful um and that's where human machine communication comes in so we we come at this from a communication perspective which is very different often from a technological perspective
0: i'm i'm gonna jump on that a little bit because I, when when you were talking about designing assistance making some of these actual choices like um siri or alexa those are what i would say you know a very common names associated with a specific gender mm-hmm. um so i would say that's almost like a design choice that those companies have said okay. we, we want this to lend towards the, mm-hmm. the female model um, if, if you were to try and design something in more of an androgynous or kind of just a, a, a generic tone, do we as humans just automatically start to give those properties even when there's maybe some effort to have absolutely no properties associated? Or do you understand kind of what I'm trying to ask? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So
1: what you're getting at Russ, I think what you're asking is, and this is really important to note um, you know what you're asking is even if we you know design a robot. Let's get away from a voice assistant, but we design a robot that looks you know just like a ball, like BB-8, right? Or yes. <laughs> uh, you know is just looks like a ball with maybe yeah, some not eyes. human
0: in any way. Yeah. Exactly. Well,
1: well, humans you know gender it, and this is this is important. So let me kind of break this down uh, for for you from a research perspective. So first and foremost, when we're talking about gender, I wanna make very clear, it's different from biological sex. So gender is a social construct and it's different across cultures and uh, comes down to the ways that we present ourselves and carry ourselves. And then the associations that go with that gender. When we're talking about gender and voice assistance, um, yes, the one in the, the US, Siri, is the default voice used to be female, however you can set it to male. And it's important to note that in other countries, the default voice was male uh, based on gender roles in those countries and assumptions in those countries. So I just, I I wanna make that clear. When- So we're
0: continuing stereotypes based on some of these choices. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so then when, you know, so you asked this question, you know, will we read gender into these technologies? There's actually a lot of work that's currently occurring around trying to de gender uh, the machines in some ways or to keep them from being overtly uh, female or male um, in, in ways so as not to repeat these types of very flattened stereotypes that can be problematic. Um, And there is some success with those technologies. When it comes to research about whether or not people assign gender, uh, early research that I've seen, and, you know, voice assistants aren't that old, right? So we're still conducting a lot of research. We're also looking at the psychological processes occurring. So people may assign or read gender into. Um, that. And again, what we're trying to figure out is that more of a psychological, is it more of a sociocultural? Is it if this technology does not um, have a very, you know, a voice that seems to go either way for me or a look that goes either way? uh, Am I going to see it like myself? Will I put myself onto it? Um, Or will I, for example, draw from a media representation and see it that way? Uh, So I want to be clear that how we make sense of these technologies and how we act toward them and interpret them is extremely complex. And we're still we're just starting to understand all of that.
0: Well, and yeah, Dr. Guzman, we I, i'm sorry Byjo, I just want to jump on. in real fast with this one. Yeah, we, when specifically with technologies and, and, and mechanical technologies, we as humans, or at least in, in American cis roles, um, hmm. I'm thinking of of of, of men who look at cars and oh that's my baby and, and you know really or and like name them with female identify we've been doing that with technology all right. the time so I find that very interesting that that's still coming even if you're trying to make a more you, you know just generic we're still we're still doing that even with newer technologies
1: Right, and and, you know, that's a great point, which goes back to the fact that gender is a social construct. Uh, You're absolutely correct that, for example, ships historically have been given female names, you know, uh, ships, boats, and um, one thing we look at are the pronouns, like she, he, or it, you know, what do you tend to assign to something? So this is not something that comes out of the blue with voice based technologies. That's extremely important to point out, uh, but it is something that takes it to a new level because when we look, for example, at a ship, like, and I'm thinking, you know, think of a big cruise ship, right? We, we know that's not a human, but when we have an Alexa in our house or Siri, and we're hearing an extremely gendered voice with a specific personality set, uh, then that, makes it seem all the more real and and adds a a new layer to it. Uh, So yes, there's a long history going on here. Um, And again, it is one that is very culturally situated uh, as as well. And especially as someone who heads up an international group of scholars, where I work with scholars everywhere from Asia um, to South America, uh, to Europe, you know, um, how these technologies uh, are represented and understood and view, viewed viewed um, can be very very different. So
0: the intersectionality of all of that is is very important. Almost it's not just you know simply like oh yeah it's named Alexa and that's it. There's a lot that that kind of is is, is developed from that stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Biagi, go ahead. I'm sorry. I- <laughs>
2: No, no. I was I was trying to jump into the conversation because, uh, I mean, uh, Andrea is in uh, communication, but she loves technology. And of course, information system people loves technology too. And we study human-computer commun- interaction as well. And uh, I was kind of like, I'm not an expert in, you know, um, communication like by voice, but uh, I'm looking more into like communication with uh, text, like a chatbot mm-hmm. conversation and stuff like that. And I... Notice the kind of similar things, right? We try to humanize and uh, assign traits uh, to these robots, right? To to make it perceive more like we are communicating with another human, right? But then uh, it's true we probably should do some research, uh, cross boundaries research with people in communication to better kind of establish what will be the best way to you know choose a name or uh, choose the, some of the traits of this bot. So that you know, other people that interact with the bot will feel more like I don't know, listen, or will feel more represented, and so on and so forth. So I was just like, <laughs> I agree with Andrea.
1: Yeah, and you know, you know, I'm so glad you brought up chatbots too, because you know, in the way the text comes across, uh, especially uh, for people who you know are used to text messages and you know things like that, um, people also read personality in text. People also read gender into into text. Uh, think about when you just read a fiction book um, or, you know, you, you get a text from someone you don't know them well, but you start to make assumptions about who they are as a communicator. Uh, so we have very similar processes when we're, we're dealing with chatbots. And I, one thing I love to talk about is history. So most people don't know Siri's origins. So Siri uh, did not begin with Apple. It began with the US government. It is a spin off project of what uh, over a decade ago, uh, quite a while ago, was uh, research into assisting, uh, building assistive t- technologies for the military. And often what the government does will spin off research. I'm simplifying a a much longer timeline here. Um, And I I can, anyone who wants the long version, I can send it to you. Uh, But, you know, eventually people will develop something out of this. And one of the initial versions of Siri and Siri-like products was actually more of a chatbot that was stylized and interpreted to provide text that, again, was read as very gendered. Um, and then it was later acquired by, by Apple. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so even when we, we remove some of those, um, you know, auditory cues, uh, it's, it's extremely important that to think about how people may interpret uh, just even text-based uh, communication. For example, there's researchers who look at, you know, should chatbots include some mistakes in them like ums or ers, mm-hmm. to come across as more human yeah. uh, and uh, so there there's a lot of work being done so you are actually absolutely right correct, uh correct biagio yeah
2: yeah when it when it comes to chat ball like i i've read multiple papers of people looking at like what kind of cues they should display and uh to make it look like more humans uh one thing that is uh, to me even more uh, challenging in their case is, um, you know, they are text, right? So they might as well, and they're probably going to say, okay, this is Bob, uh, and it's probably a bot, or it can be a human. So it becomes more difficult to differentiate rather than, as of now, right? The voice that kind of like sounds like robotics, it comes from, you know, your device at home. So you can see it's not a human really behind. Uh, but with bot, it's not there, right? It, it can be a human or it can be, you uh, another person like somewhere else in the world that interacts with you. So those cues can be even more, uh, I think uh, <laughs> have more impact because it can really change the type of communication that you have.
1: Right, exactly. So for example, if NIU had a bot, is it called NIU bot or is it called Victor Husky? Victor. Because uh, those are two very different representations yeah. that would come through. Um, I, I do want to clarify a bit, something that I think would be really helpful here. We how we in communication approach this versus uh, the technology approach. So a technology approach would think of a chatbot as as a type of tool, right? Or you're building a tool to help people do something, maybe to get information on classes or get you know help you purchase something online or help you with banking or reservations, right? This is typically how we use chatbots. But from a communication perspective we think about uh, not only sending information from point A to point B, but what are the larger cultural and ethical implications? Uh, Because just like human communicators, right? We have a set of almost unwritten ethical codes we follow and we have a set of assumptions that we we put into our communication based on how we've learned to communicate with other humans. Oh, so we see chatbots and robots through that lens. So to return to your point, Biagio, when we're talking about you can't tell the difference between a chatbot and a human, from a communication perspective, that's seen as ethically problematic. Uh, because there's a lack of transparency in who or what you're communicating with. Right. And so that's and- what this, uh, this approach brings to it. Um, and I'm not saying other, you know, others in computer science or designers have not picked up on that. That's, that's right. more of a basic level. Uh, but really thinking about transparency and ethics and thinking about developing. Uh, we have ethics for human communication but what do ethics look like for human machine communication? What should they look like? Um, and should we be building things first and then figuring out the ethics or should we be figuring out the ethics and then building things? And so that's what this area really uh, brings uh, to this. So,
0: yeah. yeah.
2: One one like going on, on, on this slide, sorry, Russ. Uh, I can, like, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think there are, I mean, it's not what I like when I do research on chatbot, but I'm pretty sure there are people even in information system that study the ethical consequences. But mm-hmm. but the fact that, as you said, uh, there might be a robot behind and not a human behind, it gives more opportunity to like, for example, scam people, right? It can be uh, mm-hmm. huge, right? Because a human can write as many messages per day, a, a chatbot can write so many messages, all over the world at the same time, and and not knowing who is on the other side for for some people makes a difference in what they open up to, what they share with that bot, and so on and so forth. So
0: yeah. yes, it,
1: okay. you're exact. You're exactly correct, and that, that's what research has shown. And I will say one thing that a set of human machine communication researchers are looking at is the historical drive has been to make technology more human-like, right? If we make it more Mm human-like, we make it more social, that increases what we call presence. In other words, you feel like you're interacting with something and so you'll wanna use it more. Uh, However, as these technologies have started to proliferate and as they've started to be used along different contexts, researchers are starting to document that in some cases, people prefer a machine and prefer something with more machinic attributes. Uh, so, for example, if they're speaking or interacting with a bot about a sensitive topic, getting information about mental health, getting information about mm. maybe STIs, or just um, we've seen this actually with universities using bots to help students register for classes or learn about classes where they may feel, you know, students may feel. Um, in some ways, ashamed to ask a question like, gee, I don't know what I'm supposed to take next. or you know, they may actually prefer a bot or something that has more machinic attributes. Um, and, and so that's important to note too. And so this is why you don't want people thinking a bot is a bot when it's a human, right? Because you are exactly correct. They're going to interact with it in in different ways. Um, so yeah, absolutely correct.
0: Dr Guzman you you're bringing up something that I think we all have seen experienced and um, actually lived with over the last couple of years but it it, it it when you're saying ethics within communication that that almost can be translated as as trust in in the information that you're receiving where you're getting it from all of that stuff and I feel like we all have a reasonable distrust regardless of whatever beliefs, wherever you're coming from, politically, whatever, there's there's a reasonable distrust and things like chatbots, ones that look like humans don't, deep fakes, you know, all of these different new tools are are maybe eroding at, at our our trust in communication. It, it, is that kind of where you're coming from?
1: Uh, so you're, you're correct that I'm talking about trust, um, in that, that is, you know, how much do we trust a thing, you know, certain things as far as, you know, getting into the disinformation, misinformation, you know, type of discussion it's connected in some ways, but disconnected in other others. So I think people are slowly becoming smarter about the fact of knowing that Alexa is collecting their data. Hmm right? Yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, uh, you know, for those of you who may not be as familiar with Alexa, you know, it is produced by uh, Amazon. And yes, it is taking your voice data. Uh, most, most assistants will keep your data for a certain amount of time. It's usually um, uh, separated from an individual, but then they use it to tailor products to you. Uh, people who have Alexa may have noticed she has recently started offering things to you, right? So then there's there's these ethical questions about privacy and how much people understand uh, what's going on. So if we think about the communication equivalent, right? When we speak with another person, I speak with Biagio, I tell him something and we're in a room together, right? Speaking one-on-one, I assume we're the only two people party to that conversation. Well, mm. Alexa and others are set up in very much the same mode where you feel like you're just having this one-on-one conversation. But we know that behind the, the interface, right, is this whole apparatus um, that, that's taking in information and using information in different ways. Um, now, Russ, to get to your point about people having concern, people having mistrust, distrust, when we're talking more in the political sense of what's occurring politically, I, I don't see that necessarily attached to in interaction with chatbots per se. Um, we do know that on social media to kind of switch technologies on you a bit, <laughs> there are bots on, on social media. So for the students or, you know, uh, visitors here who are not familiar with this concept, um, although I think most people have seen this at some point, if, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Instagram, uh, TikTok, uh, you'll see you know these things quite a bit where people seem to be interacting with you. Um, and if you look, but if you look carefully at the accounts, um, they look like real people in some ways, but they're not. Uh, sometimes it's really obvious, right? The name may be Melissa5678910, right? It'll be, uh, that'll be a username. That's usually a pretty good um. Uh, tip off, but we also know that these bots and they're designed to look like real human users, and the ones that are done well, you have an extremely hard time telling, um, are part of automated communication. Um, and so pushing out automated messages. Um, in some instances, it's, it could be, um, you know, just more of a marketing message from a company, right? Pushing out about uh, a product. Um, mm-hmm. And so relatively benign. However, they are used in political context. And I'm so glad you brought this up because I issued a warning on my LinkedIn yesterday about the fact that uh, these automated communicative technologies are often used in misinformation and disinformation campaigns, political mm-hmm. campaigns, including and involving um, foreign actors across the world. Um, and so for example, with what's going on in Ukraine right now, um, I don't look at bots specifically, but I do know that historically, um, when certain countries have engaged in military or other actions, we've seen, um, heightened bot, um, interaction around that. So that's something to watch out for.
2: And one thing I want to like, I I think, I think our research overlaps so much, but one thing I want to stress out is. Uh, once you use a platform like social media, uh, it's not anymore like a word on mouth conversation between me and you in a room. Right. It's broadcasted exactly. to all the words. Right. And so, if you are not very uh, careful of what you're reading or who is the person that writes that message, then the right. consequences is not just me and you in the same room. It's, it can be everybody, right? Yes. Uh, oh, and, yes. And so, automated messages is another like, very interesting topic for me. I, I think about it like you know company perspective replying to customers, uh, for example, to an online reviews, but it can be true like on social media as well. And the impact of it can be uh, huge if people keep sharing and sharing and sharing it's even more, right? Um, Absolutely something to keep in mind.
1: (laughs) You're, You're exactly right. Because then, you know, when we interact with these bots, not knowing it, we actually continue the chain of communication. Um, And so again, this is something else that human machine communication researchers look at are these chains and webs, not just a one-on-one interaction let's say with a single Alexa or a single robot but when we're in a social media environment and you have bots coming in and interacting with humans and humans retweeting bots and bots retweeting humans then you actually have this entire human machine network. And we've, you know, research has shown, for example, uh, prior to COVID-19, so this is even prior to COVID-19, that bots have been used in online conversations about vaccines and actually would come to dominate entire hashtags about vaccines. Um, We've also seen it used in specific geopolitical contexts where a certain political party um, would flood a hashtag or uh, use, for example, in other countries, use bots to actually intimidate political opponents. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's multiple contexts. Yeah, and you're right, yeah, so this gets away from the uh, co- you know, more consumer business aspect, but it, it is related in that people are learning about these technologies. And uh, in my research, for example, um, I look at automated news writing technologies which are technologies that take in data and can create a news report, a basic news report that most people cannot differentiate between a human created news report. Um, When I talk to people about these technologies, one of the lenses where they use to kind of decide if they're good or bad is they compare them to Alexa or Siri. So think about that for a moment. Alexa and Siri, from a very technological perspective, are very different. What they do is is the complete opposite of what this news writing technology is doing. But people, when they're trying to understand an automated technology, pull from what they know. Hmm. And, And what they know, for example, is something in the home. And so, when we're thinking about this idea of bots, and for example, you're you know right that companies use all sorts of bots across social media, or they can use all sorts of chat bots. But when people have experiences with bots or learn about bots, if it's more of in this negative context of political bots or these very disruptive bots, uh, one thing you know what we're trying to figure out is how does that then affect their other attitudes toward benign or even helpful bots, Mm -hmm. right, or vice versa. And so this is one of the things that I I try and stress is we're we're not only trying to figure out what a specific technology is or does, or how people react toward it, or how people understand it. Um, And that tends to be more the technological approach. From Mm -hmm. a communicative standpoint, we're trying to figure out what are bots as social entities in people's minds? Period, and then do they differentiate among diff- bots um, or or AI? Um, and so there's you know this much bigger picture that that gets wound up in in all of that. So yeah,
2: yeah no, I, I definitely think about the benefit of the bots, and uh, in fact, one of the projects is, is try to think about bots or i don't know it it might be another type of device another type of interaction that can help students like kind of helping them succeed in class and stuff like that that, that's that's i mean i always look at the good technology but definitely (laughs) there is also the dark side right for everything yeah uh, with this stuff but yeah that's that's pretty cool stuff
1: yeah and you're (laughs) and you're right you know people have great interactions with technology um you know It's, it's how are we using technology? And again, so many of us are just experiencing these technologies for the first time. And those first experiences can initially be very powerful. Um, Mm. And then, and then over time, right, then we, we come to experience the technologies in different ways, become more used to them. Uh, You know, it was amazing to me when I, initially did my research on, on Siri uh, and, and Cortana, how people just, oh, you know, thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's a voice assistant that can talk, right? If, if you look at the news coverage at the time, everyone was just like, whoa. And then about six months later, everyone's like, yeah, Siri's dumb. <laughs> you know, or, uh, doesn't, doesn't do enough or gets frustrated. So yeah, it's, um but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there's, there's positives and there's give and take just like with any technology there's there's give and take for sure yeah
0: so dr guzman i want to kind of jump on to the the like journalistic side of yeah. some of these tools, these ones that are writing articles. And, but I, I, I wanna look at it and, and this word keeps coming back to me when I was preparing for this stuff of of like intimacy and, and, and connection. And I, and I think at the essence, and, I, and again, I'm not nearly an expert in this, but I think communication is, is our, our strongest way to build intimacy and having those connections, which our whole society has been based on for thousands of years. Um, I, I'm, I start to wonder when um, I read maybe some of those, those journalistic features, those, those long articles about refugees going through just a, atrocious experiences and, and these journalists are on the front lines doing that stuff, getting those stories so that we all can empathize and, and relate to other areas that we've never had. Um, I'm wondering if, because I know a human did that, and I can I can see that someone went there. I give it more. Um, I, I can empathize with it more. I give it more validity. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you see that as these technologies and, and these journalistic tools start getting better that we're not even going to c- care? We just care about the quality. And if it does a good job, it doesn't matter. Or are we still going to always ask, did a human do that or, or was that a bot?
1: So this is, the, okay, so you have like literally hit upon like a hundred articles right there. So it's a very good question, very good <laughs> question. Uh, and so, first of all, I would also like to compliment you on the fact that you said, you know, like, I think communication is just pretty much the, the foundation of, of how we get along. And yes, that's, that, that is why our field exists. Communication with humans and now with machines forms who we are as individuals, and it forms our relationships from the small what I call a small R, just how we get along every day to our most intimate relationships. Uh, Let me take on your journalism question here. I'm going to break it down into several parts because there's just a lot uh, going on with journalism and this right now. Uh, So let me kind of explain uh, how this works. So first of all, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are used in journalism in in many different ways. Uh, But when we're talking about those news writing programs, um, and so again, these are programs um, initially developed very much around numerical data. So let me give you a quintessential example Um, using these programs to create uh, quarterly reports on, you know, certain companies and their stock market performance mm-hmm. or their financial performance, um, or using it for sports reporting, you know, how certain teams are doing because adding a narrative to numbers is something that computers are very good at doing and is somewhat easier to program. Uh, we also sometimes have. Uh, n- uses where humans will write parts of a story, but let's say it's a huge story about COVID-19 in the United States uh, being done, let's say by the New York Times, just hypothetically here, or insert whatever national organization you want, okay? <laughs> and uh, let's say they've set apart a portion of that to be localized, meaning that if you're uh, accessing that story from Illinois, that part of the story is going to be about Illinois um, and Illinois COVID data. And so, you know, and then if you're in Missouri, for example, you're you're going to see in that portion of Missouri where you're accessing very specific data. So in some instances, these automated technologies are being used for that. There's actually, they've got a database of COVID-19 statistics, they've built a basic script and, and so like 90% of the story is written by a human and then the localization that happens based on feedback uh, is, is done by a program. And, and I will say a lot of these scripts that even they're using to create these stories were originally built by humans. So there's still a lot of human interaction in there. So to, to get to your question, which is something I've, I've written about, um, you know, this question of, well, what happens? I, you know, if I'm understanding your question, as if, if these technologies start to take over more and more personalized or more and yeah. more complex stories,
0: creative, right? all yeah, those, creative, those, right? Those the, the human
1: feature articles. So right now they're, they're not good enough. Like they cannot do interviews. (laughs) Okay. Um, but right. But we do have, you know, we're getting increasingly sophisticated software for adding in more, more nuance. And so this is a question worth thinking about and, you know, from, and so there's, again, the technological perspective that we can think about this from, in other words, does the technology function in terms of, can it produce a news report? Can it produce a news report that's readable? Can it produce a news report that's uh, credible, that's factual? Right. There's no typos or copy edit. You know, um, computers are really good at avoiding those typos, right? Uh, but then there's the, the question of what is news, and this is all of a sudden. This went from this went from can this read produce a report to from a communication perspective, from a journalism perspective. What is news? Is it just the mere conveyance of information, full stop? Mm -hmm. Or is it an experience? Mm -hmm. And the two aren't necessarily disconnected, right? Um, But, you know, what, what is news? What are the goals of news? What should news look like? Uh, what is considered good, you know, high-quality news, right? So yes, thinking of a, a story of about a, a refugees, right? You could have a computer-based story that just includes data, yeah. or you can yeah. have a story that you know speaks with people and gets at the, the heart of, of that experience. Um, and so, um, what are the markers of journalism? But then there's there's this ethical component. I I, want to bring it here. Um, You know, so there's this question of like, will we attach to a story written by a machine? Um, And you're not the first person to ask this, Russ, because when I talk to people about their thoughts, they, they wonder the same thing. You know, could I feel the same way about a story written by a machine as I would by a human? And could I find a story about human emotions to be credible if it's written by a machine? Because machines don't know emotions.
2: They don't feel. Yeah. So no. if,
1: if a machine doesn't feel, but it's using words such as, you know, uh, you know, the refugees are devastated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A machine doesn't know what that is. So there's a question of, you know, is this genuine communication? Um, is this-, is, this is it
0: almost manipulative? Is, well, is that- it,
1: Well, so it, it's not necessarily, so there's that and I should say, there are no journalism standards right now and scholars have been pushing for this. Some industry reps have been pushing for this. There is no journalism standard for for stating whether or not something has been written by a machine. You may see something that say, you know, an automated bot, or you know, or you may see something like a very, you know, specific technology contributed to this report. And again, it's it's these are still used for smaller things. But there's this mm-hmm. debate about going back to the transparency of chatbots. Is the transparency in news
0: mm-hmm.
1: should should if a if a uh, bot or a program is producing any sort of report? Because we default think a human is creating the news,
0: right? Correct. Yes.
1: Should that be marked? And and so and and so one thing you know I can I can go on and on about this because I actually wrote a whole thing about you know whether or not machines should write about death, but you know are there are there certain topics that should just be completely off limits um, for for machines and. Uh, you know that is a much larger ethical and extremely philosophical question um and so there's a pragmatic pragmatic view of well if they get it right they get it right good to go make my money but then Mm -hmm. there's this philosophical uh view that that we need to think
0: about so Yeah. And Dr. Guzman, as you, as you brought that stuff up, I I couldn't help, but like actually feel something like, like there's an emotion to that, that I'm like, I don't, I don't know. So already it's kind of built into that stuff. And when you're, you talked about, you know, kind of the big R the the relationships that we -hmm. we have with this stuff, these technologies are changing the way we meet people. We fall in love. We Mm -hmm. like actively um, so much so that that in in more of a futuristic almost dystopian view um i'm I'm thinking of the movie her with walking phoenix and all that stuff like falling in love with some of these tools as they've developed because we we've invested so much into the tool that sometimes the tool is just as important as the person on the other end or or whatever like that that's a little that's scary to me or or Unsettling. I'm not sure what I what I feel there. Okay.
1: Yeah. Viaggio, were you going to say something before I, I speak to this? I thought you were going to. No,
0: no, no. I let you speak to this because I wanna I wanna kind of generalize
2: this talk to to other uh, application of, of this and concept that protein. So I'll let you answer this and then okay. go back to that to my point. Yeah.
1: Here. So I think. You know, when we're talking about communication relationships um, and inevitably, whenever I have these discussion, her comes up. And in fact, the Boston Globe actually interviewed me about relationships with technology. Um, for, for a communication scholar, there's there's two types of relationships. There's the big, what I call the big R relationships, like what you're talking about in the movie Her, where for those who are listening um, or, or tuning in and have not seen it, Uh, the main character falls in love with a virtual assistant, okay? Um, And, you know, those. there are people who are looking at, you know, big R relationships uh, with with technologies, um, particularly, for example, with robots, with sex bots. I don't work in that area, so I can't speak to that as much. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think, you know, one thing to think about when we're talking about movie representation in science fiction, is that it's, it's fascinating to watch and it's, it's fascinating to think about, but so often a lot of it only has like a kernel of the truth. Mm. Um, and so we often can get, um, in some ways, you know, thinking too far ahead or, or thinking in, in ways that, Uh, leave us to not recognize what's more in our face, in front of our face. So people often say that they're concerned in terms of relationships of a technology becoming a lover, right? Um, For me, it's more about the small R relationships. Now, we do know that some people, uh, particularly in certain countries where tech has been designed to serve as a friend, develop a type of you know, uh, friendship with a mm-hmm. bot or with a technology, although they often won't say it's the same as a human friendship, right? So they still okay. differentiate between it. But then I, I think sometimes we, we become so concerned from an ethical and moral standpoint of kind of the ultimate, like marrying a robot um, or with her falling in love with it, that we forget that we have a relationship with Alexa we have a relationship with siri um but there's what i call small r relationships in that they fulfill a specific role um but in doing that role they they can have us rethink the roles and interactions with other humans so again in my house right alexa is is for writing things out, um, asking basic questions, plain, plain Jeopardy. And, and that seems pretty, pretty mundane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, I'm starting to use Alexa so much that I forget uh, that I'm also in a relationship with Amazon. Mm. So I, I, I focus on Alexa, but I'm also in a relationship with Amazon, right? That's one part. But the other part, uh, let me give you an example. A student brought to a class one time. uh, This person and her uh, fiancé had just got an Alexa. And about a month after they got Alexa, her fiancé says, hey, so-and-so, what time is it? And she said, Dr. Guzman, I got mad at my fiancé. I'm like, well, why did you get mad at your fiancé? Mm -hmm. And she said, I got upset because my fiance was bothering me with this very basic question that they could have asked Mm -hmm. Alexa. And I said, why are you bothering me? That's an Alexa question.
0: Wow. Yeah. So
1: (laughs) if you you think, you know, that's just a small example, right? And we don't ever, you know, extrapolate from an N of one. But mm-hmm. this is what I'm talking about with the the small r relationship. That in the time that they've had Alexa, they've established specific communication rules,
0: with yeah, and and, rules um,
1: and expectations. But now they're entering into not only how do they interact with Alexa, but how do they interact with one and one another? Um, and so, so yes. And that's enough on. On that, I, I know Biagio,
2: you have other things to ask. So no, no, I I had like um, a point. I was trying to get your perspective on because what uh, Russ touched upon a couple of uh, keywords that are really critical sometimes in research for me when it comes like to empathy, assurance, and those are the type of emotions that are very difficult to replicate for yes uh, for a robot or for a machine, just a technology in general. Just because are not, they are not able to to feel it right and so that there is for example a bot created by stanford uh that is a mental health bot like the bot i don't know if you heard about Yeah, it. the
1: bot yes but that's
2: that's your that's supposedly to become uh your therapist right and your yes. therapist needs to be somebody that can also should be able to reassure you in some situation or advise you based on the emotion that you kind of uh provide to it Mm -hmm. right uh and 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 so like my question is um in your opinion like uh is that some some areas where uh i don't know we should not try to use a bot or we should go more in a direction that we had another episode about that like a kind of hybrid intelligence right so we let the bot address what the bot is able to address and then we find a way to uh, identify where there is like a, a point uh, where the bot is not capable of uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> kind of uh, taking over the situation and a humans jumps in and uh, kind of handle those you know more emerg- emergency kind of situation of more dangible, dangerous situation because you know mental health is is serious and has an impact on everybody's lives so um, yeah I just want to know your thoughts on this
1: yeah. yeah. So I'm glad you brought up Wobot. I've actually uh, tried out Wobot once uh, to try and see what it's like to, to interact uh, with it. And um, when when it comes to applications such as Wobot, um, we're, we're dealing with really complex um, contexts. Uh, I have not looked at the Wobot literature recently. Um, in, in terms of how are people using it? You know, uh, what are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? Um, but with mental health, right, there, there needs to be some consideration there in terms of, you know, what can a bot provide? So going back to what I was talking about earlier, um, one, of, one of the biggest hurdles for mental health is just getting people to show up because they'll, they'll feel judged. Um, and so, um, you know, can just getting someone to show up to even interact with a bot, right? Is is that better than them just not showing up to deal with a human at all, right? That's that's a very that's a very valid question. But then there's also these questions of if you think about what's supposed to happen in in therapy, right? Is is that part of this is there's a connection being made? Um, and, and empathy being displayed. And I wanna be very clear that uh, technology right doesn't feel, but it sure can um, give the appearance that it feels. So they can send messages of empathy. Mm-hmm. And so the question is then how do people interpret those messages of empathy? And then of course, there's the ethical question of are they genuine? Is is this fair? Is this so? All of that gets gets wound up uh, in this. Uh, w- you know, I'm not going to necessarily knock a technological solution for you know some sort of problem just because it's it's technological. But we do need to think, and this is what I know you're getting at, Biagio, Beyond just the the technological aspects uh, here. Um, And, and so, yes, there, there is this question of, do we just outsource things to bots or do we have more of a, a, what we would call a human in the loop? Um, or do we sit down and think about, okay, what are bots really, really good at? You know, for example, checking in on people, making sure maybe people are taking their meds, right? So, you know, if Mm -hmm. you're meeting with a psychiatrist, you didn't take your meds, you don't want to tell your psychiatrist that, but if maybe you're meeting with a bot You know, and the bot's like, "Did you take your meds?" And you know, they're not judgy. Then you may actually respond to them. And then when you meet with your site, you know, you know, is there a psychiatrist involved there? So it's it's highly complex. But the type of questions you've brought up, Biagio, about um, thinking about what should be the limits right now, at least until we know more, and and how do we pilot these? Um, so much of tech, and I'm not really talking about robot here uh, specifically, but so much of tech comes from a very much a um, let's build it and see what happens or mm-hmm. break fast and move things, <laughs> <you> <laughs> know, which is Facebook's motto. And we know what happened with that. Uh, and and uh, these uh, And these are very serious technologies. Anytime you're building a communicative technology it can have uh, serious ramifications, even if you think it's for something not like the robot um, that we just really have to think about. So, yeah.
0: Is there, something that you're excited about with the, with these technologies, something that you're seeing like, oh, I can't wait to see this develop or kind of that next frontier, or should we just stick with like the dystopian perspective that it's all gonna be terrible? No,
1: I think, you know, like there's no, and again, I don't want this to come across as, as dystopian. I think sometimes I talk a little bit more about the challenges and concerns because when you look at, you know, conversations about technology culturally, when you think about commercials, when you think about big launch events for any type of technology, right? It's always like, look at what it can do. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And first of all, with artificial intelligence in particular, like it's often like way, um, out of context and just like promises way more than it's actually doing first and foremost. Uh, but, there's also kind of this this lack of conversation about just thinking more thoughtfully, thoughtfully mm. and and holistically, right thinking holistically about uh, technologies. Uh, when it comes to you know future technologies and and bringing technologies into the house, you know, or into the workplace that uh, I, I could be, um, excited about. I do, I, I think I'll be actually more excited to interact with technologies that are actually more machine-like, um, because I know how to interact with them. Uh, for me, uh, And I think for a lot of people, going back to uh, your points earlier, when you're dealing with bots right now, you don't know what you're you're interacting with necessarily. And so you wanna know, is this a human or a machine so that you can interact directly with it. And typically when I'm choosing a chat bot, I, I want to interact with the machine because I specifically know what I want or I know what I'm after. And um, and again, this it's probably comes more from my perspective doing what I do. I know a machine can, can handle that and be helpful to me. Um, and, and so I'm looking for, I guess, technologies that are going to be better tailored at doing the technological aspect of, of doing that work that they need to do um, and not being so fumbly, I feel like so much of, uh, communication technologies and again, because they're, they're just starting out are just very unrefined. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to more, more of the refinement and technologies carrying out very specific, um, actions. I know that's not like, oh, you know, I'm looking for forward for the driving cars or <laughs> right, that you typically get. <laughs> Uh, but I just, I'm looking forward to technology being, I think a little bit more, uh, honest and refined and, and better at what it's doing because that's what we want out of technology. We, we want utility. Um, and I think right now a lot of technologies are being overloaded with a lot of extra things and they're not, they just get bogged down. So.
2: Wow. I, I have, uh, <laughs> that's great. I, I wish there was a long, longer time. I know we're getting close to that, but, um, you know, I I feel like, for example, a podcast is a way to communicate, right? They communicate mm-hmm. and try to reach out to people that cannot be physically there. And virtual communication has been a big topic in communication mm-hmm. and human-computer interaction yeah. for everybody, right? I I was just wondering, like, do you think that the metaverse, right, and communication in the metaverse would have any kind of, like, I don't know, any kind of impact or any kind of uh (laughs) something interesting that we don't think about because like is is the next level of the virtual communication right right um, yeah just wanted to, to know what's your thought on that
1: yeah so the metaverse of course for those of you listening you know is speaking directly about you know Facebook's idea of creating a virtual reality space for meeting and hanging out uh so I have several thoughts on this the first is I'm old uh, and I'm old enough <laughs> in that I did my master's thesis on Second Life. Nice. So Second Life, for those of you who are not aware, is a, a virtual world space that particularly in the late mid to late 2000s um, grew as, as a type of virtual world people could go into you design an avatar. So think about you know the way it was described as Sims, but like you can interact with it and, and do what you want. Um, and you had companies moving into Second Life. NIU has a campus or had a campus in Second Life for people to get together. And so it was a way, it was thinking you come in with these virtual avatars that represent you and you can interact with one another. But what's really cool is in in Second Life, you could be a dragon. Or you could be right, you you know a, a certain version of yourself, um, and then it faded away, and, and there were multiple reasons for it. Some of them were just technological, just uh, the amount of time and space for interacting in these places. You know, you often would get kicked out uh, just because your computer, you know, it just took up so much uh, processing, um, and. There were some advantages, people liked being in a virtual space together, but there were also a lot of disadvantages and and, and here I'm, I'm talking about Second Life because really it gives us a good view into what are likely to be the communicative issues in uh, the metaverse. And as it turns out, right, the same, you know, originally people thought, okay, Second Life is a place where you won't be judged according to race, or according to gender, or according to sexuality, right, because you could, you could be dinosaur. Um, No, okay, here's the thing, the same people who are jerks in the real world (laughs) are jerks in virtual worlds. It's
0: not funny, but it's true, yeah.
1: Right. Well, but I mean, but this is so this is where I talk about we talk about tech being so utopian, like, you know, this idea that it's just going to fix race relations. What? It's the same people in this world that are in the other world. Now, this doesn't mean that technology can't be helpful for certain Mm. things. For example, people with uh, disabilities who are homebound find virtual worlds and virtual spaces to be extremely important for community building because they literally cannot leave their homes. And so it allows them a way to travel, to move. All right, so that is a great application. And so my point about the metaverse is, I'm not saying it's negative or positive. It, you know, having spaces where you can meet uh, with other people virtually can be extremely helpful when you're thinking about uh, inner interactions and bringing in nonverbal interactions so you can see how a person is reacting via their their avatar right so that can be extremely rich but at the same time the problems that exist outside of those worlds right don't necessarily go away. They often take on new forms. So when I was in Second Life, I experienced sexual harassment. Um, you know, there were, and and so that's what, that's what we need to think about is that when we're entering into new communication spaces, um, what are the positives that can come from these new communication spaces, uh, based on, you know, uh, you know, kind of these offline communication spaces, right? Where, and then, so like, we're gonna be in this new space, what are the positives of technology? But at the same time, not thinking that all the negatives go away and also being very thoughtful about um, what new negatives can be introduced. Uh, So there's a lot of questions about, you know, could, should you be able to have a function on your avatar that does not allow people to touch you, right? Mm -hmm. What is the default of an avatar? Can, can an avatar just walk up and touch another avatar? Or can you be allowed to control that? Because previously in other virtual worlds, people would just walk up to an avatar and grope it. And you might be like, well, it was, it's an avatar, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an actual person. But the person using that avatar is is a person, mm-hmm. and usually it's a it's a woman, um, or or if I'm talking about the sexual harassment cases. So again, yeah. not to go dystopian.
2: Actually, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Andrea, the, the just the other, the other day, the sh- the Financial Times posted that there was a case of sexual harassment in Metaverse already. So okay,
1: so there we, we go. are not
2: thinking about like yeah. dystopian here is is actually yeah. happening and already yeah. happened, but yeah. yeah. Thank you. I-
1: yeah. Sorry <laughs> to, yeah, but you're just like again, womp, womp. But it's <laughs> it could be great. These are great spaces. I mean, I like Second Life. I'm excited to try out the metaverse. Uh, we're just asking that designers, bring in, bring in your communication experts because yeah. we're really good at helping you think of how to make things better and yeah. uh better for everyone. So yeah.
0: Wow, Dr. Guzman, that I'm I'm very excited to see what happens when I know people like yourself are are working on these and, and at least asking questions when maybe historically um, the, the diversity of questions were limited by the people that had access to to ask those questions so I, I truly am, am grateful for you being here this I, I enjoyed it I hope you had a had a great time and I, I could talk. okay good 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 <laughs> uh, but truly thank you so much and everyone all of our listeners everyone who's been here today thank you all for being here again this is The Gateway it was brought to you by NIU's College of Business please make sure to subscribe follow do all that stuff on Spotify Apple Podcasts all of the those wonderful technologies that we've talked about all day today so um please again thank you all so much for being here we love the support dr guzman thank you and biagio as always thank you and everyone have a really good day thank you thank Thank you
1: so much for having me